I always say like people, you know, work should be everything. Honestly, I don't think that should be it. Work should be work. And then you end it at that time. And then you have your life. You spend time with friends, family, do what you want to do. Um, so find something that matches that lifestyle for you. If you do want to work from eight to five, make over six figures, um, you know, be able to see your family, not travel so much so you can be there. So like when your family is growing, if you decide on that from the beginning, then we can walk backwards and say, well, what type of roles and industries will allow you to do that and be able to have your fulfilling career, but yet doesn't take away from your life or your personal life um, after work hours. That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with career coach and negotiation strategist, Claudia Miller. Claudia helps serious professionals secure dream jobs with dream salaries at their dream companies, including fast-growing startups, rockstar mid-sized companies, and Fortune 500 and tech giants. Claudia talks about the importance of preparation, networking, mentorship, and offers insights into how she can help her clients land the career they desire. I had a blast chatting with Claudia, and I'm excited to share our conversation. As always, thank you to Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, Claudia Miller. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Walker. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much. Um, so, Claudia, you are a career coach and negotiation strategist. Um, you've got your own website and your own podcast, both Roadmap to the Executive Suite. Um, and I was really interested to, to chat with you because I've had uh, I've had a wide variety of coaches, um, although I don't think any are career coaches. I might offend someone now if I'm not remembering correctly, but certainly not anyone that's as specifically focused on careers as, as, as what you are. Um, but I've had a lot of people that, you know, come on and talk about transitioning out of working in the corporate world and into entrepreneurship. And, and I think that's great. But I also, something I always ask entrepreneurs is like, do you think that, that literally everyone should be an entrepreneur and there should be no employees? And of course, the answer to that is no, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Businesses need people to work for them. So um, I'm really interested to, to kind of pick your brain about how to navigate that employee side maybe a little better than, than people know how to. Um, so I'll kind of start with I guess, and I, I, you'll have to forgive me. I'm a complete layman here. I'm, I'm very loosely familiar with the term headhunter. <laughs> is that, does that describe you in any way? Or is that an offensive term or <laughs> no, it's how does not that offensive. all okay. um, It definitely does not describe what I do. <laughs> okay. So headhunters, um, you know, there are different ways, but um, sometimes a company, let's just say if they are looking to hire for a COO or someone in the C-suite. They might, and they might already have someone in that role, but they don't necessarily want to tell them or kind of make it public. So they will hire a recruiting firm or sometimes they'll call headhunters and they'll say, hey, we're looking for a chief financial officer with about 15 years of experience, uh, preferably within manufacturing. And they go very specific. Um, here are some of our challenges. And then the headhunter or recruiter or executive recruiter sometimes, um, they'll go through their database or if they already have connections or they've been talking to someone recently, they'll say, hey, you know, Jane, um, I know you are, you actually have 15 years of experience within manufacturing. Uh, we have a position available. Why don't we get on a call, send me over your resume and then maybe see if this is a good fit. And again, they try to be very secret about it because they don't want the public knowing um, that this position is available, especially if there's already someone in that role and they don't necessarily know that they're looking to be replaced. So gotcha. they might hire someone. Now, as for me as a career coach, I help um, career-driven professionals. So if you are currently working and you're trying to break into that management role, but you keep getting passed up for promotions, or you want to break into that director role, um, or maybe you are you enjoy what you do, but you just can't stand the industry. You're in a very dry industry. Maybe you want to go into like health and wellness. That's something you're very passionate about. Or maybe you want to go into project management, but for a PlayStation company, where you um, can kind of marry both passions of like project management and working with different people, but also working within the gaming industry. That's possible. You'll come and, you know, 
reach out to me and say, hey, I've been doing project management within the finance industry. How can I pivot into like the gaming industry? Like, how is that even possible? Do I have to start from the beginning? I never necessarily worked with a company like that, but I have been doing project management now for five to seven years. So I work with you in helping you create a strategy, rebranding yourself and how to become one of the sought after candidates during the interview process, because you will be competing with other professionals who have been in the gaming industry and been doing project management. So how can we make you stand out from the competition? And along with that, I also show you how to prep for the interview, how to do your research and how to identify what that salary you should be asking for. So you're not leaving money on the table and t- showing you like different salary negotiation techniques um, when the time does come. Awesome. So, yeah, so that's something, you know, um, I, I'm aware that you're, you're helping people with with what's listed as interview and career coaching. So can you kind of maybe walk me through what I guess we'll just start with with interview coaching. Like what kinds of things are you helping people prepare in for interviews with? Yeah, so there's different aspects. I always like to start with a mock interview. It gives me a baseline of where you're currently at and where do we need to focus on, especially in a short amount of time. We don't have six months to a year to practice on your interviewing skills. Sometimes clients give me two to three days, say, hey, by the way, I haven't interviewed in three days. Can you help me out? I, have, I haven't interviewed in 10, 15 years. So... <laughs> I start with a mock interview and I pay attention to many different things. Aside from body language, how well do you own the room and are you charismatic? Are you able to create a connection? But looking at your answers, are your answers too long? Are you rambling? I don't even, I even forgot what I asked you at this point. And you're going, giving me additional information I don't need. Are your answers too short that I don't even feel like you answered my question? Um, how well are you controlling the interview? Are you able to uncover any obstacles or challenges that are preventing you from moving to next steps or getting that job offer? Um, as well as, you know, now it's video um, interviews. So how does your background so look like? There are times where I have mock interviews and there are people walking in the background. There, There's just so many things going on. And, you know, I, I tell them, you know, please pretend like this is a real interview. I want to see what the environment looks like. And does your family or your partner respect it? Because if we see people walking in the background and I've even gone on interview, like mock interviews, and I see people crawling um, and you can still see it in the in the video. <laughs> that's when I say, all right, clearly your family does not respect the boundaries or they're just not understanding or you live in a very small space. Let's work on your Zoom background. Let's work on your lighting. Make sure that your camera ready and you come as professional. And when you're I noticed that when you were asking questions, you were reading or because you do have a second monitor, you kept looking over there and it looked like you weren't um, interested or you were being too distracted. And that bothered me as an interviewer. Let's Mm. work on that. And how can we strategize to make sure that you come out as confident, um, good with body language? And it comes across video because a lot of things get lost. Had you been meeting in person, um, like even in this podcast, for example, if we were, you know, face to face my tone would probably be a little bit more calm and um, that's acceptable because it's, you know, front, you know, face to face. Now, when you're on video and just audio, all of a sudden you have to elevate your passion, your charisma. And it's especially important when you're interviewing. So how do you identify how to pull those levers in order to make you one of those top candidates? And that's Mm -hmm. where I help people um, during the interview process. That's really interesting. I mean, I think, you know, when I think about interviewing, um, I'm always racking my brain trying to, you know, because the 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 generic interview question of name a time when and then insert scenario. <laughs> and I'm always like trying to scramble in my head, trying to think of, you know, do I have scenarios ready for these these type of questions? But it sounds like I mean, obviously, the the content of your response is going to be important, but it sounds like it's just as important to focus on these. I don't know if aesthetic is the right word, but a lot of the other details involved with the communication beyond just what's being said. Correct. I mean, I still work with clients on following methodologies. Like, how do you prepare for those questions? How do you answer questions that throw you off guard? Um, You know, I even ask them questions so random that I want to see how they react. And sometimes companies ask you those questions and really having like a process around it, because, you know, kind of like what you said, a lot of people do tend to prepare for an interview two to three days before the interview. Maybe they'll look at the company site, the job description. Maybe they'll look at the person who's interviewing their LinkedIn. And that's pretty much it. 
maybe they'll do a Google search, maybe, but that's where their interview or research ends. Whereas my clients, I'm having them look at, you know, where they're like allocating their resources. How did they perform last year? How did they perform last quarter? What are they looking to do in the next quarter or so? Or what are their big um, co co uh, company goals and objectives? What is their comp competition doing? Are they releasing a new product? Where did this come from? What are some customer reviews? And I mean, it goes really deep. So that way, when they do go through the interview process, they're not asking questions like, you know, so I noticed that you've been working here for three years. You know, what brought you to this company? Where it's very surface level, a lot of people ask those questions. Whereas my clients, since they know how to do research, they'll say, well, Walker, I noticed, um, by the way, that in the la latest earnings re um, report that you're looking to penetrate a new market, specifically a market segment of females between the age of 25 to 35. They're really interested in gaming, specifically, um, I don't know, like sports gaming. Um, you know, what have you done or what currently, where are you on track in meeting that objective or those goals? Does mm -hmm. anyone on your team have those skill sets? I actually, you know, one of the projects that I worked on or, you know, one of the projects that I worked on actually specified in that market segmentation where we focus on targeting professional women with bachelor's degrees between the ages of 25 to 35 that also enjoy that gaming aspect of it. And we were in, you can dive in deeper and it's just a different conversation than, so, you know, what brought you to this company? <laughs> right. So it's a, it's a big game changer, but that you need to know how to do that research in order to figure out how to even come up with these conversations or topics. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. So this might just be a semantics thing. Uh, so it might not be a very good question, but it's something that I've encountered throughout my life. And I'm curious, do you think there's a difference between a career and a job or is that mm -hmm. just semantics? Um, it, I guess it would be a different, every person has like a different definition. How I would consider a career and a job is a job you go in, you probably don't like, and you probably despise going into it. You can't wait for 5 p.m. And then once you're done, you kind of do your own thing. Whereas career is, all right, I'm doing this role because I know in 10 to 15 years, it's going to help me get to where I want to be. So if I want to be a chief marketing officer, this role is going to give me all the skill sets, all the um, responsibilities, and will give me the exposure specifically even to networks that I need to um, know and really understand and connect with. So that way it fulfills my goal. And it's something I really enjoy and I'm passionate about. And when I'm not working, I'm still, I gravitate towards those type of um, topics. So for example, like kind of, I mentioned um, health and wellness. So if you're like a Peloton fanatic and you know part of that you know they call it the peloton cult <laughs> what if you worked at peloton and did project management and then you're like oh my god actually i remember this project when i do my peloton workouts this is something that we should improve on this is why i come as a consumer where it's automatically something you gravitate towards and now you're building a career out of it and it's aligned with your lifestyle mm. i always say like people you know work should be everything honestly i don't think that should be it Work should be work, and then you end it at that time, and then you have your life. You spend time with friends, family, do what you want to do. Um, so find something that matches that lifestyle for you. If you do want to work from eight to five, make over six figures. Um, you know, be able to see your family, not travel so much, so you can be there. So like when your family is growing, if you decide on that from the beginning, then we can walk backwards and say, well, what type of roles and industries will allow you to do that? and be able to have your fulfilling career, but yet doesn't take away from your life or your personal life um, after work hours. Mm. And that's how I focus on with careers as opposed to a job. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, so I guess the kind of direction I was gonna go with that is just, we talked about the interview coaching. As far as the career coaching, are you help, <laughs> and it sounds like yes, but are you helping people identify careers that they could pursue that maybe they weren't aware of prior to, to talking with you? Yes. So clients come with different scenarios. They'll say, hey, I want to become director, been doing a manager role already for five plus years, keep getting passed up, or I just don't even get the interviews or I'm not considered. What am I doing wrong? And I'm thinking of looking elsewhere as well. I work on that. But there are clients where they'll tell me, I just really hate my job. I hate it. I hate, like, I'm thinking about just quitting and I don't have any interviews lined up. I don't even have my resume updated. I just really dislike it. And I don't think I want to do this ever again. Or like, I'm not sure if it's the industry or what, but I just can't do this anymore. Like, I need to get out of here at least in the next month or so. 
So that's when I start, you know, working with them. Well, what is it that you hate about this job? Because sometimes it's not so much the job itself. It might be your manager. It might be the company culture and leadership where they're working you to the ground. They're not being respectful. They don't provide you the resources and they're setting you up to fail. And maybe it's not so much you need to transition and make a career change. Maybe you just need a different work environment, different management team and leadership styles with resources for you to succeed. Mm. So it's really unpeeling to understanding. Or maybe you truly are you know, an introvert and you're in a sales role and you're horrible at sales and you don't even care to get better at it. Okay, then you definitely need a career change. Let's figure out where do you thrive in and let's find a, uh, a nearby industry that will help you get to where you want to be at. Because sometimes it, you know, I would say like it is hard, especially to maintain your salary or even get a salary increase when it's something far off. So like, for example, if you're um, trying to become, if you're a teacher and now you're trying to become a vice president of sales, very different. Now, if you're becoming vice president of sales, that specifically sells to teachers. Now that's a different scenario. So Mm -hmm. how can we get there, but still make it very closely aligned that allows you to be successful. And now it becomes your market differentiator. It makes you stand out from the competition. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, you know, something else you, you mentioned is is salary negotiation. And uh, I know personally, that's something I've always been super uncomfortable with when it comes up. And uh, honestly, because oftentimes when submitting the resume or, or very early on, maybe even before the interview, it's asked, what is your salary requirement? Right. And so then it's like, well, I got to put something. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, how do you what kind of tips or, or suggestions do you have for for navigating that space? Yeah, there's always this misconception that negotiating your salary is either when they ask you or when they're giving you the job offer. And mm-hmm. salary negotiation preparation actually happens way beforehand. So how I help clients get thirty to fifty thousand dollars salary increases is not by helping. Not, it's not like I'm going to say Walker, I'm going to offer you hundred k, and you're like, nope, I want one hundred and fifty thousand, or I'm not taking this job. Okay. It's not like that. Instead, <laughs> it's more strategic and. Uh, it starts from the beginning. We, I help you with your branding to align for the role you want. So your resume, your cover letter, LinkedIn are spot on and positions you as that perfect candidate. Um, how to research, how to make you stand out from all the other candidates, how to research that company itself, how to build a network, how to get referred into those roles or companies. Maybe that person you're networking will be your hiring manager. And then all of a sudden you have that direct contact and they'll say, Walker, you sound great. Actually, I'm about, I'm hiring for this role. Why don't you send me your resume? I'll send it over to HR and let's schedule an interview and I can introduce you to the rest of the team. So that way we can start this interview process. That's very different than coming in cold and not no one even knowing you. So that's very important. And because of that, I get we're positioned to be the top candidate that they're going to say, we need to hire Walker. No other candidate was even close to how Walker has all the skill sets we're looking for, even the things that it's really hard to hire for. Um, He perfectly mentioned all our pain points, how he thinks he's going to align it, or he brought in his past experience that's really going to help us be successful in this role. And we don't have to try to figure out ourselves when Walker clearly has the experience. We want to make sure that um, we get Walker. So let's offer him the higher end of that salary range because one, no one wants to go with their second option. Two, I don't want to disrespect you as an employer. And then like your top candidates, they command money. Like Google employees, just because they worked at Google, all of a sudden they think like he's from Google. I mean, we have to hire him. Like, <laughs> you don't need to work at Google to become that person. Mm. You can say like aligning everything the right way. I automatically offer you the higher end and because you did your research. So one of the things that I have clients do is reach out to people that are in the role you're applying for previously and are two to three levels up. So they used to, let's just say it's project management. So they used to be a project manager. Now they're a director of project management office for a big company or whatever that may be. So I'm going to re- I'm going to have you reach out and then say, Hey, by the way, Jane, I noticed that uh, project management salaries. Uh, I looked at Glassdoor and it says anywhere between 50 and $180,000. That's a big range. I'm looking to kind of get a better uh, idea of what salaries I should be asking or looking for. Um, what is the average, at least with a 10K range within this industry, um, you know, that would be a good marker for me or will help me understand what that salary I should be asking for? So they're going to tell you like, oh, yeah, back in my day when I was a project manager, you can expect this. Or they might say, 
you know what? I know that at least for my project managers, we offer them anywhere between 90 and 110. We also, it's customary for us to offer a 20% bonus for employees as well if they hit their performance metrics. And because we're a public company, we offer them shares with an average of, based on the stock price right now, maybe we'll offer them anywhere between 50 and 100. All of a sudden, you know exactly what to ask for. And then you ask them, what makes you offer them 110,000? Or what is the difference between a candidate gets offered 110 and 90,000? And you're literally getting the answers to the test. So when they do ask you that question, you stay within that range. And you're not just saying, oh, I'm looking for a $110,000 salary. You're saying, I'm looking for a total comp plan with a $110,000 salary with a 20% bonus. And since it is a public company, I'm looking for an average around 100 shares. So all of a sudden, and you hit it right in the nail because we already know that because they told us they're part of the industry or they work for the company. Um, and now it just becomes when that conversation of when they do offer the job offer, then you're just requesting an extra 10 to 15K um, as opposed to like, they don't know that you just made a 40K leap. <laughs> they just know that they really want you and you're asking for that 10, 15,000. And uh, a phrase that I love to clients to say, and I say, always say this is, you know, I'm really looking for a salary. Let's just say they offer you 110. I'm really looking for a salary of 120. Um, how can we close that gap? And then let them figure it out. If they want to pay you in pennies, that extra 10K, it's fine. Or if they want to give you a sign-on bonus or they want to give you a stipend or pay for your child's daycare. I mean, it can look many different ways. Let them get creative. Hmm. And then they might say, well, let me see what we can do. And most of the time they offer you within that there's still a little bit of buffer in that salary range that you'll be able to get. And if they come back to you within 24 hours, it's probably because you probably still, there was still more money on the table we could have gotten. <laughs> gotcha. That's fair. So, yeah, I mean, you mentioned um, to some extent they're networking and, and, and LinkedIn. So uh, I, I am curious, I guess, can you talk a bit more about the value of networking? And, and I, the, something I, I guess that's been on my mind here recently is that, you know, the, the negative words for for the value of networking, I think, would be like nepotism or, you know, the, the dreaded good old boys club kind of thing. Right. And, and certainly those can have negative connotations, but it's human nature to uh, to work with people that you trust. Right. Or to choose people that you trust. So I think that networking can can just lead to that trust. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, again, a, a bad thing like nepotism or good old boys mm -hmm. club. Yeah, I, networking is definitely important. Um, and now nepotism is more like when you are, you know, someone in your family works there, but networking is really going to give you um, that accelerated, you know, search or job search overall, especially right now. It's very competitive. The market is very saturated. There are openings, but there's just so many people applying, not only people that are unemployed, but also people that are realizing how bad their companies um reacted during the you know right now during the pandemic some of them had to cut on costs but yet ask their employees to work more and you know to put in more hours with no additional pay no salary increase not even like that two three percent or promotions so they're thinking like why am i going to work here when i can work somewhere else and that's what's really important and the networking is going to get us to know like what exactly, how much money we should be asking for, um, who should we be connected to, what should we be focusing on and highlighting within our skill sets, especially of like what, you know, what is the hardest thing to hire for, for a project management, a project manager. And, you know, it's like asking for the answers to the test. And that's really going to help you send out through that, that interview process. But again, you wouldn't know this information from not networking, especially just from looking at Glassdoor. It just wouldn't get you that information. And so is, is I mean, is LinkedIn the, the, the primary tool for this remote networking or, or are there other ways that people can, can get engaged in remote networking? Um, it could be, I primarily, I use LinkedIn because it gives us the information that we need. You know, who are people within our industry? Maybe people that went to the same alma maters that we did. So now we have something in common. Maybe they've worked at this company before or they currently work there. Or, you know, are they at a high level leadership? Will they potentially be my hiring manager? Um, you could even network with some of the HR recruiters out there. You know, who are they? Are they looking for jobs? There are times when HR professionals are saying, hey, I'm hiring for a project manager here at Peloton. Um, if you are interested or know anyone here, uh, please private message me and I would love to talk with you. 
then you can just say, hey, Jane, saw your LinkedIn post. I'm interested in project manager job at Peloton. Um, I went ahead already and applied, but do you have some time this week to talk for 20, 30 minutes to learn about the role? Um, and I also included your resume for reference. Uh, but let me know what time works best for you. It's harder to get that information from Facebook, <laughs> right. especially when it's like limited information or Instagram. Um, for me, at least professionally, it's so much easier to do that research, find those people, network and be intentional and do it you know, from the comfort of your home. And it still comes as a professional aspect of it and then be able to connect with them. And if you can't, um, there's ways to figure out their email addresses so that way you can reach out to them th to their corporate email as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, something you already kind of touched on, you know, with with people that, that maybe want to pivot industries. How hard is it to change industries? Does a person, you know, that's well into the workforce need to go back to school to change industries or what really goes into that? No, I mean, it depends. If you're trying to go to become a doctor and a lawyer, I mean, there's you can <laughs> you can just network so much, but it would not get you that job. Right. But at least for most professions, um, I know there's a, this misconception of I'm going to have to take a pay cut. I know I'm trying to switch industries. I'm just going to have to like take a 20, 30, maybe 40 K salary increase. I'm going to, if I'm a director now, I'm not going to be able to director in that role. So I'm going to have to start as a sole contributor, work my way up. And then, you know, I have to pay my dues in that industry. And that's not true. Like I mentioned, if we find a common denominator of something that you, like I always say, tell clients, if you're going to change industries, think about the tools and resources and systems that you use. And then if you're trying to, Again, same thing. Maybe you're a teacher. You want to pivot into technology and maybe you want to do curriculum development for them. I would ask them, what kind of systems do you use? Oh, you use Blackboard. Okay. What other systems do you use? Um, you know, they might say something like, I don't know, Zoom for classes. Great. Well, let's look at Zoom and they're actually hired for a curriculum development person. Um, and now we can say that, you know, not only are you a teacher with like 15, 20 years of experience, but um, you also utilize Zoom a lot during your classroom time. So you actually have ways that you can improve some curriculum development where, you know, these people or parents, let's do a training for parents to teach them how to do Zoom properly. So that way um, they can teach their kids and that's curriculum development. And again, that's an easier transition than them having to go into a I don't know, a, a technology company, something like Cisco, where there's all they sell is like hardware. And right. it's a little bit harder to do that. So we can make it so much easier. But otherwise, uh, they will have to take a pay cut. You're probably going to have to go a few levels down and then have to pay your dues where if you go through the other strategy, you can still stay within the same role, make probably even the same or more money. And then that way you're not, you know, getting behind in that career race that you may be feel like you may be on, like everyone's getting ahead of me. I'm going to have to start from the beginning. I'm going to have to take that pay cut. You don't have to do that if you do it strategically. So something that, that I I've heard a lot about um, in recent months or, or had several discussions about at least is, is mentorship. Um, can you talk about the, the importance of mentorship and, and then kind of how does someone align themselves with a mentor? Yeah, mentorship, I would say, is very important because, um, and I always say mentorship within your company and also outside your company, because your mentor, especially if they're like two to three levels up, 
can actually be there when decisions are made that you usually are not part of. Like, who should we promote? Who should be a great fit for this new manager role? Oh, Walker actually would be a great fit. Um, I know he's done A, B, and C, and he's been ready for it. And I think he'd be a great fit for that role. So they become your advocates and promoting you when you can't be in that room. Mm. Um, But they also can tell you things like, hey, uh, you keep, like, for example, one of my mentors, and I used to be an architecture major, and they asked me, why do we want to become an architect? And it was because at that time, I'm like, oh, the prestige and, you know, the salary. And he's like, all right, if you're doing it just for prestige and salary, prestige, uh, not going to cut it because you're going to be miserable. And two, if you want to make the same money as an architect, become a truck driver. You don't need to do that. And I was glad that he mentored me because of that, because I'm an extrovert. I like to be around people. Architecture, you're usually not around people. So it helped me pivot and say, all right, what do I really want to do and focus on and avoid those mistakes down the line? Mm. Or they can also say things like um, from your personality or, hey, by the way, Claudia, you kind of have a reputation of being very stubborn within the workplace. People try to work with you and you just block them and you're very protective of your team. So no one thinks that you're collaborative. And honestly, we probably getting you to that director position, we probably have to rebrand you right now and seem as collaborative. So how can we do that? Hmm. And a mentor internally can tell you that uh, a coworker is probably not going to tell you. And someone else is just not going to, because no one knows how people are going to react. So that mentor can provide that guidance for you as well as outside the industry. Hey, by the way, Walker, um, one of the highest skill sets that I've seen a lot and I hear a lot during like, um, you know, the boardroom is, you know, these top two, three skill sets are the hardest to hire for. Maybe you should look into getting those certifications. And then all of a sudden, you're always staying on track and ahead of the game. So that way it can accelerate your career as opposed to trying to figure it out on your own every single time or every step of the way. Mm. Well, and I know I know at some companies, they'll, you know, when a, a new employee starts, they'll like assign them a mentor. Um, but it seems like that can be kind of hit or miss because it's somewhat random, right? Like you don't really know if these people are aligned. So is, is there any suggestion you have on how someone identifies someone that could be their mentor and, and approaches that conversation? Yeah. I mean, it's not just so much about the role. Um, you want to make sure that some maybe somebody that has some skill sets or something you're not very good at. Mm. So like, for example, um, again, I'm an extrovert. I'm very good at talking to people, getting out there and networking, but maybe I'm not so good with the emotional intelligence of it um, or managing a team. So I want to find a mentor that, you know, maybe they're praised or won awards or like, oh, that's probably one of our best managers. Everyone wants to work for him or her. Like they have like one of the best um, retention rates for that department. Well, maybe I want to seek that person as a mentor because I'm trying to become a better manager or maybe learn some good management skills. So then I would actually bring that out and say, Walker, by the way, um, you know, I'm, I, I work within the company and I actually heard all but great things to say. And I know that every time I ask, like, who would you recommend? Who do you think is like one of the best managers in the workplace? Your name keeps coming up over and over again. I was wondering, if, you know, if you'd be open to having a 20, 30 minute conversation. I'm looking to become or improving my management skills. And I would really appreciate your expertise and insights. Um, you know, do you have a time available this week? Now, you're not going to say an email, do you want to be my mentor? Because they're going to be like, who are you? Like, <laughs> right. Can I even help? And how much is this going to, like, how long is this going to take? Is this three hours every week? I don't have time for that. Right. So it's building that relationship. Um, and that's actually how I found my first mentor. I, I, I noticed he got promoted very quickly. And like within five years here, he got promoted six times. And I oh, mentioned wow. that. How did you do that? And he was surprised and impressed that I did my research, that I was to the point and that that's something I really uh, admired of him and I wanted to learn and I was willing to put in the work. And he actually asked, would you want like, would you want to be my mentee? Now, that mm. doesn't always happen. But again, you have to show that you're willing to put in the work. A lot of people ask, but they don't execute. They'll say, oh, Walker, you know, how do you start podcasts? And you tell them and then you never hear back from them. Right. Yeah. And it's rare to say, hey, Walker, by the way, I took your advice. I read those articles you mentioned. I followed, I bought the book. I subscribed to, you know, this podcast company and I bought my first microphone. And I'm so excited that you helped me. I really do appreciate it. Uh, would you mind getting on another quick, you know, 15, 20 minute call with me? 
I'm actually prepping on like how to figure out how to ask guests. I would really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. But now because they showed that they delivered and executed what you told them the first time, you're more likely to help them even more in the second time. And all of a sudden it becomes like this relationship um, naturally. You Mm -hmm. don't always have to put a title on it, but, and it can, like, like I said, my mentor asked me, do you want to be my mentee? I would love to mentor you. Uh, But, you know, and we set parameters. How often are we meeting? Okay, we're meeting once a week for 30 minutes. It'll be on Wednesdays. And then we have a discussion. And I, my job is to execute and report back. But also if there's any ways that I can help them. Because I can't just get, I just can't take, take, take. I have to give. So, hey, I heard you ha- have this project. You need some resources. I'll be happy to help you after work hours. Um, you know, especially because we worked in the same company. I'll be happy to help you after work hours. So that way, one, I can learn a skill set. And two, I can help you. Mm. And that's a good relationship where there's back and forth and that you're not just the giver or just the receiver at that point. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's, I think that's awesome. Um, And I, it, I mean, it it ultimately just kind of comes down to, you just have to kind of say what you want, right? Like (laughs) be, be bold enough or have the audacity to, to go kind of go and, and introduce yourself to that person. Um, and just not, not be gripped by the fear, I guess, of <laughs> maybe the rejection. <laughs> so, you know, you have your podcast that I'd mentioned earlier, uh, Roadmap to the Executive Suite. And I, I saw, I was kind of looking through some of your, your episodes and, and uh, I saw there was a lot of the episodes, not all of them, certainly, but a lot of the episodes emphasize kind of either different ways to empower women in the workplace or different challenges that women kind of kind of face in the workplace. And this is this isn't really career coaching, so apologies. But I I, I had a friend, a female friend, that kind of opened my eyes several years ago now to two challenges that women face in the workplace. And and as she kind of explained it to me, like you know, yeah, there's the the I don't want to use the word classic really because that makes it sound like a good thing, but the the old example of like the catcalling, just blatant, rude, weird <laughs> sexism. And obviously that is a, a, a huge problem, but there's other challenges that, that women face in the workplace as well that aren't as overt as, as that kind of behavior. Can you kind of talk about some of the, those challenges that, that, that women face in the workplace? Yeah. I mean, one of them is like the unequal pay salary. I mean, we've heard like women get paid 70 cents on the dollar. And actually I think it went up to 72 cents on the dollar, but it's still not a dollar. Right. And that's, you know, um, African-American women are making like 65 cents on that dollar and Hispanic women are making around 56 cents on the dollar. So there's that um, unequal pace. So it's really especially learning start negotiation skills if you're a woman. Um, and then, of course, of like how to seem like most women try to be very like friendly, collaborative. And I'm the I'm the same way. That's just my personality. I like to help people. I'm collaborative. But they tend to do it and then not communicate. So I have clients tell me, you know, I keep getting passed up for promotions. I do everything. I've been doing, putting extra work. I worked on this project. And I asked them, okay, so how did your conversation go with your manager? What did they say? Oh, I never, I never told them. I just assumed that they would know I wanted the promotion. I've been here for five years now and, you know, I just haven't gotten promoted. Okay, well, that's, a problem. We need to communicate because we can't assume people know what we want. There, Not everyone wants to get promoted. Not everyone wants to be in the executive suite. Not everyone wants to be a director. There are people that I have clients tell me, you know, 15, 20 years of experience, great accolades and achievements. I'm like, are you, did you want to go into manager, director? Nope. I don't, I don't want to manage anyone. I just want to do my job, clock out at 5 PM and be with my family. So you can't assume for people to know. And then two, not every manager is a great manager. So sometimes you have to learn how to manage your manager to help you get there. So it's helping them communicate and understand where, you know, we're told to like, if we're too assertive, um, you know, we're being, you know, the B word in the workplace or we're being rude and disrespectful or we're being too loud. So it's really understanding of like how to come off within the company or within like the workplace as um, composed, you know, as a good person that can be collaborated, but also having that strategy behind it as well to in order to back it up because you will have to be more competitive, especially if you're more timid side. And then the meeting, there's always that person that always talks and likes to take over the meetings and just talks to talk at that point. Um, 
And, you know, they're the ones probably taking credit or saying that they did something and you're kind of on the quiet side. You like to be consider yourself humble. Um, that's like, if you're humble, it's okay. But if you want to get promoted and if you do have a plan to get there, how can we get there? And there are things you will have to do to show up because you need to do this anyways. If you want to become director, you need to learn how to speak up. Now you don't have to be the loudest in the room. You don't have to be rude and disrespectful, uh, but you need to learn how to way to do it in your own style. That still meets the goal and purpose we're trying to meet. Mm. Yeah, that's that, that that that's all that's all really awesome. Uh, and it just I thank you for for speaking to that. Like I said, I know it's not really exactly career coaching, but yeah. but it, it, I think it's something that's an important topic um, for people to 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 hear about and, and hear uh, your thoughts on. So um, we kind of already touched on this, but I'm curious. You know, we we talked earlier when I asked you about what the difference between a career and a job is, and and you you kind of explained the career. And obviously, again, it, it, it's an open definition to some extent, but the career being something that maybe aligns with a person's passions or, or their, their already existing lifestyle. How important is it though, for a person to, to have that passion about their work versus is it also, do you find that sometimes people can be just as fulfilled with maybe the work isn't their favorite, but the work-life balance that the position offers, the salary, the benefits, those types of things can compensate for maybe the lack of passion in that field. You know, every person is in a different aspect of their life. So for example, there are clients where they'll tell me, you know, I really need to increase my salary. I'm looking to get married and, uh, you know, and buy a house. And I really need to make that 30, 50 K salary increase because that can help me get there. Uh, and then we can be comfortable. Then you can say like, I'm okay. We're or working longer hours for the next two, three years. Cause I know it's temporary anyways. And then I can move to the next step. Well, if that's the case, then let's get you that job that's going to pay you that 30, 50K. Now, some people might say, well, they should have just stayed within their means. That's not for me to decide whether my clients should stay within. If that's all I heard was I need a job, 50K salary. How can I get there? Mm. And I help them get there. While others, they might say, hey, I've been doing this for so long. I'm good. I make really great money. But honestly, now I need to work for a mission-driven company. I need to find a purpose. I want to know that I'm working for something that's actually making an impact in the world and something positive. Okay, well, they're like, I'm okay taking a – I actually just got a call to it. I'm okay taking a 50K salary cut. I'd just rather be happy than make money. All right, well, I still look for like, what is it that you dislike about it? And again, is it a job? Is it a company leadership style? Or is it true that you just overall need to change industries and types of roles and find those transferable skills? And then going through the process can help a little bit uncover. Uh, but for example, if that's like, let's just say they're a project manager and they work for like, I don't know, an oil gasoline company, clearly, like they're not going to feel great about going into the work itself uh, because it doesn't align with their mission then I would say, okay, well, let's look for an organization. Maybe you still want to stay within a $120,000 salary increase. Well, how can we work to a project management company? And maybe we can have you position um, for you to work on that nonprofit um, department that they're actually creating that's part of the company itself. So that way you don't have to take a salary cut. You can change industries. And then now you know that the work you're doing is coming towards that nonprofit side of that company or organization. Now you have that passion, that fulfillment, and along with the salary and the hours that you're looking for. So it's not always going to be perfect. But again, you as my client or, you know, as the person, you dictate what your parameters are. Um, and, and some clients are just, you know, recent graduates. They're hungry. They have no family. They have no partners. And they might say, I'm okay working 80 hours. I just want to make for a name for myself. And I want to learn as much as possible. And, you know, I'm okay traveling. Then I would say, okay, let's put you in a consulting company. Then let's do this. Like, does money matter to you at the point? No, it doesn't matter. I just want to learn as much as possible. Okay, maybe we'll put you in a startup because you're going to be doing a lot of different types of roles and you're going to be exposed to a lot of the sides of the business that can help you get there. But again, you dictate those parameters. What are must? What are, I cannot do that. Um, I'm not, That's non-negotiable. And then we find a good um like a uh, middle of it or where it clashes and it involves a lot of those aspects that you're looking for in your career in order to get you there. That's awesome. So I, I one, one kind of final question I have, I guess, is, is there anything um, that you, 
you maybe you used to teach or a, a conception that you used to hold that, that shifted over time in, in doing this career coaching with people? Um, just any example of that? Um, yeah. So right now, recently, I've um, been partnering with a leadership expert and she actually um, she's been doing this for 20 plus years. And there's like this like nine levels of leadership. And, you know, I I didn't know that this even existed, but I kind of have an idea because of myself personally. But, you know, she I would just say, like, what's the next word and identify it. Now, because of her, I understand, like, okay, what is actually that your leadership style or your strengths? And what I mean by that is not like, are you empathetic? Um, It's more of like, what is your zone? So, for example, I found out that I'm a very I'm a strategist and innovator. I can create strategy very easily. Now, if you ask me to do like very detail oriented things and like go and clean up um, an Excel worksheet and find out all these like different things, I am going to be miserable, drained. I'm going to want to quit that job immediately. I am going to procrastinate and I'm going to avoid it as long as possible because that's not where I thrive in. I thrive in strategy. While others are more of love the detail. The the devil isn't like, I love the attention to detail. That's what makes a difference. And like, they just thrive in that. So I would not tell that microscopic person lens, they call it microscopic lens, where they love the details to be in a strategy role. They're going to feel miserable. They're going to feel burnt out. They're going to feel frustrated. They're going to hate going into work. So it's really understanding their lens. Are you more strategy innovator? Are you more into the details? And then if you're into the details, like, or whatever that is, what roles are going to be aligned with it that can still help you get up and et cetera in your career, still match that salary you're looking for and that lifestyle. Whereas before I wouldn't have taken that into consideration. Hmm. Yeah, that's really that's really fascinating. Uh, well, Claudia, I really really appreciate your your time uh, and all of the the information you shared this evening. Um, again, like I mentioned at the beginning, you know your website roadmap to the executive suite.com, and then also a podcast by the same name. H- how how should people reach out to you? How should they go about getting in contact with you if they wanted to to have you as a coach? Yeah, so my website is claudiatmiller.com. So T is in Tom, claudiatmiller.com. And um, one of the things that I have right now is like a five, a free five day email course where um, if you are a job seeker and you're trying to figure out like, hey, I I don't know what I'm doing wrong in my job search. I'm not getting any interviews or I don't even know how to start. I haven't interviewed in a long time or this is the first time I'm actually getting a job. I usually get it through my network. Clearly, that's not happening at this point. What is the first step? How to identify and how can I set up myself for success? I created this five-day email course where it kind of helps you through it along with your resume, identifying what you're doing wrong based on the data, as well as how to rebrand your LinkedIn and get noticed by recruiters and hiring managers. Um, And that can all be accessed through my website. And I also like to share a lot of information and videos and how-tos on LinkedIn at Claudia T. Miller. You can look it up and you can find me there as well. Awesome. Well, I will make sure and have show notes, or excuse me, links in the show notes for all of those different platforms um, for people to get in, in contact with you. Well, Claudia, again, really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Walker. Others hear the news.
That's all for the show today. Thank you so much again to Claudia Miller for joining. Really enjoyed our conversation. Again, you'll be able to find links in the show notes to her website as well as her LinkedIn profile. Also, I want to thank Nisha Zarens for the music of today's show. And last but not least, thank you, listener. I'd also invite you to check out my other podcasts, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is about video games. Pick Up Your Sticks is a podcast about why gaming matters that I co-host with Brett Lindley. You can find it on any podcast app. And then I also host the Crowfall podcast with Chris Crabtree. The Crowfall podcast is all about the new MMO Crowfall. Again, thanks so much for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up.